Welcome to Bangalore Revival Center. Here we dream revival and serve people with love. Today, we have our guest minister, Pastor Samuel Koshi, ministering from the Word of God on how God knows us and has a plan and purpose for our life. Stay tuned to listen to the Word. This morning, I want to draw our attention to the book of Jeremiah. If you will turn in your Bibles or if you will watch, uh, follow on the screen, I'm going to speak to you from the call of the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1 to 10. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now, I have put my words in your mouth. See today, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Shall we pray? Lord, this morning we have gathered to listen to your voice. You have said that your word will never return void. It will accomplish the purpose for which it is sent. Accomplish your purpose in our midst today. Be glorified in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I want to talk to you from this passage, from the call of the prophet Jeremiah. The word Jeremiah in the Hebrew simply means Yahweh, God throws or God hurls. Jeremiah was chosen by God in a very difficult season in his nation. The nation was about to go into exile. They were going to go into captivity. That's the time the Lord chose this young man to make a difference, to speak on behalf of him to the nation of Judah and to the adjoining nations. When you read the text, you recognize that Jeremiah was born in a family of a priest. In those days... If you had to enter priesthood, the only way you could enter priesthood was being born in a priest's family. The Bible says his father's name was Hilkiah. Going by that standard or that tradition, Jeremiah should have become a priest. But the call on his life was different. God had a specific plan. God called him at a very tender age to become a prophet. What is the difference between the priestly ministry and the prophetic ministry? 
The priestly ministry is one where somebody would come on behalf of the people, stand before God and represent their needs to God. That's what the priests would do. They would come on behalf of the people, stand before God, represent the needs of the people to God. The prophetic ministry was different. The prophet would go to God, wait in his presence, listen to his voice, get a message, and then come to the people. At a very young age, the Lord chose Jeremiah and said, I have chosen you. I want you to be my prophet to the nations. This morning, I've entitled my message as Trusting the God Who Knows You. Trusting the God Who Knows You. I'm certain that you will agree with me that the last two years has not been very easy. It's not been easy in terms of jobs. It's not been easy in terms of family, in terms of social interactions. It's not been easy. This is not a very easy season to be in. But one thing I can assure you, the God of Jeremiah has not changed. He is an unchanging God. I like the way the hymn writer put it, change and decay in all around I see. O thou who changest not, abide with me. That's our God. I'm the God of Jacob. I don't change. That's why you sons of Jacob are not destroyed. God doesn't change. Things around us can change. And God was telling this young man at a very young age, listen, I have a plan for you. I have something big that I want to do in your life and then through your life. This morning, I want to draw three simple but powerful truths from this passage. The first thing that God told Jeremiah is, I know your person. God knows your person. Look at verse 4 and verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Think about that phrase, before you were born. One day when I was reading that text and I just paused and pondered, do you know what is meditation? Meditation is nothing but thinking deeply reflecting on what you read. So I was reading this text. I've heard it so many times. I grew up in church as a pastor's kid. So sometimes you've heard hundreds of sermons. But that day, as I was reading, before I formed you in the womb, and I began to think, do you know who knows you the best? Who's got stories about you from when you were a child? Who? Parents, correct? Father, mother, Grandparents, maybe, you know, they can tell you some funny stories about you. They can talk about some of the naughty things you did, some of the things that you broke as a child, some of the funny ways in which you would talk back. They know you inside out. You can't really wear a mask in front of your parents. They know you. Do you know what? Even your parents can't say these words. Your parents can't. They can say, from the time of your birth, I know you. God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, that God can look at you and say, 
even before your parents came together as man and wife, even before they decided we need to have a child, even before they planned you, I planned you. You were in my mind. I expected your birth. You were not an accident. I meet parents who say things like, this child was not planned. I never expected this child. This just child just happened. Now listen to me. Whether you just happened or whether they were just waiting for you, it doesn't matter. God expected that you would be born. God knew. God knew that you would be born. In his mind, in his eternal purpose, before he laid the foundations of this earth, he had you in his mind. And that's why he could look at Jeremiah and say, Jeremiah, before you were formed in the womb, I know you. What a powerful thought. I know you. I know you well. Do you know God knows you more than you know yourself? How many of you know that? Now, there are many, many things that we don't know about ourselves, but God does. He knows you inside out. I like Psalms 139, powerful psalm. Spend some time reading it, meditating on it. This psalm captures the omnipotence of God, that God is all-powerful. It captures the omnipresence of God, that God is present everywhere. It captures the omniscience of God, that God knows everything, past, present, future. And in this psalm, the psalmist pens these words, You knit me together in my mother's womb. I thank you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you know before human hands touched you, before human eyes beheld you, God knew you. He saw your unformed substance. He saw you. He knit you. Your DNA, your fingerprint, the timber of your voice, the retina scan, how tall or how short, what's the color of your skin, the color of your eyes, every detail he minutely planned. He fashioned you. He looks at you and says, fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. A God who calls you by name. Hallelujah. There's more than 7 billion people on the face of the earth. 1.3 billion live in India. One out of every six person in the world is an Indian. God chose that you would be born here in this nation. Sometimes living in a populated nation such as ours, you can feel small and insignificant. I'm a nobody. Who knows me? You know, people tell me I have no godfathers. I turn around and say, I have a heavenly father. You know, they say, nobody knows me. I have no one to promote me, no one to lift me up. Listen, there is someone who calls you by name. Fear not. Don't be afraid. More than 365 times in the Bible, this phrase, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know, we tend to get afraid. No matter what we project on the exterior, deep down we have fears. Deep down we are insecure. 
Deep down there is that struggle. I wonder if things are going to turn out right. And God has to placate us again and again by saying, Listen, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. I know you. I've called you by name. You know, he knows your thoughts. Our thoughts are very personal, very private. Our spouse may not know our thoughts. They can guess, but they can't read our thoughts. Psalms 139 says in verse 2, You know my uprising, you know my downsitting, you know my thoughts from afar off. That's how personally he knows you. The Bible says in Job 31 and verse 4, You have seen my ways and you have counted my steps. This morning you didn't count how many steps you took to come to the house of God. But God knows your steps. He's counted your steps. He knows it. I love this verse in Psalms 56 where the psalmist tells God, Psalms 56 and verse 8, even my tears are in your bottle. You know, when we were children, we didn't mind crying publicly. Remember the times when we didn't get what we wanted, we just bawled. If people saw us, they saw us. But as we grow older, we get more, you know, we became more reticent to express emotions. Whether it's a silent, private tear, or whether it is an audible public tear, God sees it all. He knows it all. Amen. Amen. You have a record of my tears. He knows your name. He knows your thoughts. He knows your steps. He knows your tears. And this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. In Matthew 10 and verse 30, he says, Even the very hairs on your head are numbered. You and I can count how many hairs fall and get perturbed about it. God knows the very hairs on your head. Let me share why this verse has significance in my life. When I was 17 and a half, my parents, my father, who was also my pastor, went to be with the Lord. I was the eldest son. Two and a half years later, when I was 20, my mother went to be with the Lord. So in a span of two and a half years, I lost both parents, and I was left with an 18-year-old sister. I was 20, she was 18. We were in the city of Calcutta, and at that time, it was a difficult phase. I had made a decision to serve the Lord. I had finished my graduation, uh, and I had begun to pastor a small church 50 kilometers away from the city of Calcutta in a place called Tribeni. That's where I was doing ministry. One month into my ministry, my mother went to be with the Lord. It was a very painful time in my life. I loved the Lord. I recognized His call in my life. God was real to me. But the question, why, bothered me. My parents loved God. They followed God. We loved God. We were following God. Why did God permit both my parents to go in such a short span? I remember days when I would preach in the day, come back, and at night, weep and go to sleep. This happened several nights. One particular day, my sister was in college. I came home. I opened the door. 
I walked into the house and there was a sense of emptiness. The house seemed empty without my parents. I looked around and I began to think, there are children of my age or young men of my age who have parents and who have grandparents. And here I am in this big city with neither parents nor grandparents. I looked up to heaven and I said these words. I said, God, this is very unfair. You should have left at least one parent, at least one of them, till both of us got established, till we got married, settled down. Why did you do this to us? I said these words and I wept bitterly, lifted my voice and I cried. I was alone, nothing to lose. I cried loudly. The doorbell rang and something happened that changed my life. The postman was at the door. I stopped crying. I opened the door. He handed me a letter and he left. The letter was a card from a stranger. A lady in Houston, Texas, an elderly lady who was retired, somebody told her that there are two young children in the city of Calcutta who have lost their parents. And their, their parents served the Lord. So she felt burdened to write to us. She was an artist. She drew the picture of two birds and penned these words below it. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? Not one will fall to the ground without your father's knowledge. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered. When I got that card, I looked at the name, the address, the person sending it, didn't recognize it. When I began to think, I said it's very, very unusual that someone I don't know would write to us. And I began to think, now this story is from close to uh, more than 26 years back. I began to think to myself that for this letter to reach me now, it would have taken at least a month. Those days for a letter to reach from Houston, Texas to Calcutta, it would have taken minimum a month. That means one month before I came to a point of desperation, God had already spoken to someone to pen these words, to, to paint a picture, to go to the post office, to post it, that it will travel halfway around the world, reach me at a time when I needed to hear the voice of God. God was telling me, even the very hairs on your head are numbered. Brother, sister, if you are going through a difficult patch right now, I want to bring a word of encouragement. This God knows you. There's nothing in your life that escapes his eyes. We sang about the seven lambs. We sang about perfect vision. His eyes are like burning fire. He sees everything. Nothing, absolutely nothing is hidden from him. Amen. Hallelujah. At the beginning of his ministry, God was telling Jeremiah, listen, I know you. And I have a plan and purpose for you. 
Looking at yourself seated in church today, you may be saying, God, what exactly have you called me for? God knows you. And as you trust him, step by step, he will begin to unfold his plans for you. Amen. Some of you are waiting and asking, God, what next? Some of you are wondering what is going to happen in the coming season. I want you to realize this, that there is a very clear plan that God has for you. He doesn't want you to aimlessly wander through life. He doesn't want you to just have the attitude of we'll see as it comes, we'll see what to do. He has a clear plan and a purpose and he looks at you and says, I have plans and purposes for you. Amen. The God of Jeremiah tells you today, I know your person. The second truth that God told Jeremiah is found in verse 6 and verse 7. When the Lord called Jeremiah, he said, I am young. The word used in the Hebrew language is the word na'ar, which simply means I'm a child. I'm young. No one's going to listen to me. This is the same word used for Moses when he was put in the dark and laid in the river Nile. This is the same word used for Absalom when he rebelled against his father. From this text, we don't know how old Jeremiah was, but we can definitely conclude he was not too old. He was young, inexperienced. He was a greenhorn. He was not somebody who had seen life. He had not gone through the vagaries of life. He had not experienced life the way others had. But God had his eyes on this young man. And God told him, listen, I've called you. And his response is, Lord, I'm young. Who's going to listen to me? Do you know many times age is a problem for us? Yes? Yes? Have you ever felt that way when you said, I'm too young? Some people are on the other side. They say, I'm too old. We never seem to be the right age to serve God. You know, I'm too young. I'm too old. What can I do? No. Listen to me. When God called Jeremiah, he felt that he was inexperienced. He felt, I don't have what it takes to do this task. Many times when God gives us an assignment, it is much bigger than what you and I can handle. Do you know that? Have you thought about it? He never gives you an assignment that you can do in your own strength. Because if you could do it, then you wouldn't need God. You could do it, correct? When God gives you an assignment, He always gives you an assignment that is bigger than you, that you can't handle, that you look at it and say, oh my God, this is not going to happen. This is impossible. This, I just cannot do it. That's what Jeremiah experienced. He looked at himself and said, I don't think I'm cut out for this kind of work. God told him, I know your potential. I want you to think about this. If I brought an apple and gave it to you and, or gave it to one of the children here and said, hey, count and tell me how many seeds. I'm certain 
any child could count and tell me how many seeds. But if I took one seed, placed it in your hand and said, tell me how many apples, that's a different question altogether. I'm sure that the scientists at the Indian Institute of Science in Bangalore, they won't be able to tell you. Nobody, no human being on the face of the earth can tell you how many apples are lying in that one seed. But God Almighty can. He sees past, present, future. He sees the end from the beginning. He is called the Alpha. He is called the Omega. He is called the beginning. He is called the end. He is called the author, the finisher. That God can see potential in you. That's why he looked at Jeremiah and said, Jeremiah, I see potential in you. Not what you are right now, but what you will become in the future. I want to give you an illustration from the Bible that beautifully captures this. I don't have the time to lead you to the text, but later on, if you will read it, go home and spend some time reading and pondering. In Judges 6, there's a story of Gideon. The Bible says that for seven years, the Midianites oppressed Israel. Seven years. Israel backslid. They turned away from God. And God in his love disciplined them, chastised them. He allowed the Midianites to come. And the Bible says for seven years, Israel would sow, but the Midianites would harvest. Now think about that for a few moments. Imagine if you worked and come paycheck day, somebody walked off with your salary. How would you feel? Angry, upset, frustrated. Imagine if this happened for seven long years. Israel sowed, the Midianites would harvest. This is the time when a young man called Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. I was reading that text and I came across this and I began to do a little study on this text and I found out some interesting details that we must consider. Now the threshing of wheat in those days was done on top of a mountain. The wine press would be always at the bottom of a mountain because they would get the grapes, bring it down, crush it at the wine press and then go out and sell it. But the threshing of wheat was never done in the lower part. It was always done on top of a mountain. Gideon was so afraid that the Midianites would take away the harvest. So instead of threshing the wheat on a mountain, he chooses to come down to a wine press. Normally the threshing of wheat was done by animals. He didn't have an animal to do it. He's hiding. And he's sitting and threshing a little wheat. He doesn't have an animal to do this. Deep down is that fear. If the Midianites see this, they're going to take this wheat away. That's the time the angel of the Lord came and said, Gideon, mighty man of valor. Think about that for a moment. What a greeting. A man who's hiding. Now, I just I want to bring a modern-day illustration, okay? You may not understand this fully, but if you have, just say you failed in all your subjects, every single subject in school, and then you went with your report card to your dad, 
And he looks at that report card, it's bleeding red, you know, it's just, just, just bleeding red. And you stand before him with fear and trembling, and you give that report card to him. He takes that report card, looks at it, and then he looks at you, and then he looks at it again, and then he looks at you. And just picture it in your mind. And he's looking at that card, and he's looking at you. And then he says, you are a very intelligent child. And you wonder, what's he saying? Is he being sarcastic? Is he mocking me? Why would, if he scolded me, that was fine. This is adding insult to injury. This is like throwing salt on my wounds. I messed up, I failed. And my dad's saying that I'm a very intelligent child. Was God mocking Gideon? Was God lying to Gideon? I'm deeply convinced neither is true. Our God never mocks anybody. Our God never lies. Then why would he call a man who is hiding mighty man? Why would he call? You see, God is a God of declaration. In Romans 4, the Bible says, God quickens the dead. And he calls those things which are not as if it is there. When he speaks it, things begin to unfold. When he speaks it, things start happening. So what God was doing in the life of Gideon was looking at him and saying, Gideon, mighty man of valor. What he was saying was, Gideon, this is not who you are. I can see something that you can't see in yourself. God can see something in you, what you can't see in yourself. He knows your potential, not what you are right now, what you will become in the future. Parents in this room, I want to challenge you. When you look at your children, despite their limitations, despite their weaknesses, despite their shortcomings, Look at them with eyes of faith and start speaking words of affirmation. Start saying the Lord will lift you up. The Lord will bless you. The Lord will make you a blessing. The Lord has a plan for you. Don't say negative words over your child. But instead of that, speak the promises of God, which are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. Say that over your child. Not because of what they are right now, but what God will do through them in the future. The Bible says, like arrows are in the hands of the mighty, so are children that are given to us in our youth. Our children are God's possession given to us. Look at them and see potential, not what they are right now. Brothers and sisters who are married want to challenge you. When you look at your spouse... Look at what God is about to do through them. Yes, they are people 
who have weaknesses. Yes, they have limitations. Yes, you can see their failures. You can see that this is where they, they went wrong in the past. But look ahead and see that there is a God who says, I can see potential, not what you are right now, but what you will become in the future. Hallelujah. That's the reason when God looked at Abram, he said, Abram, I'm changing your name. From now on, you will not be Abraham. Abram, you will be Abraham. You will be a father and father of nations. That's the reason he looked at Sarai and said, your name is Sarai. You are barren. You are beyond the age of childbirth. But I want to tell you, you're going to become a mother. He changed the name from Sarai to Sarah. That's the reason he looked at Jacob and said, your parents named you cheat, supplanter, deceiver. I'm changing your name. From now on, you will be called Israel. That's the reason he looked at an old man stammering in the wilderness and said, you're going to speak. You're going to stand before Pharaoh. You're going to say, let my people go. I am sending you. I'm commissioning you. That's the reason Jesus looked at Simon and said, your parents named you Simon, which means small plant that shakes in the wind. I'm changing your name. From now on, you will be called Peter. When men and women around you look at your failures, your shortcomings, your inadequacies, your limitations, there is a God who looks at you and says, I can see potential in you, not what you are right now, but what you will become in the future when my grace touches your life. Hallelujah. That's why God could look at Jeremiah and say, Jeremiah, I can see potential in you, not what you are right now, but what you will become in the future. The first truth that God told Jeremiah, I know your person. The second truth that God told Jeremiah, I know your potential. The third truth that God told Jeremiah is, I know your purpose. You know, you couldn't get up one fine morning and say, I've decided to become a prophet. That's not how it worked. This was a calling. Do you know that there is a call on your life? Now you'll say, I'm not going to be a pastor you know, I don't think I'm called to be a pastor. No, definitely not. Not everyone's called to be a pastor. There is a call for salvation. Then there is the call for service. And then there is a call to be a minister, a servant. Are you with me? There is a call on your life. Do you recognize it is the question? Some of you are called into the software field to make a difference. Some of you are medical personnel to make a difference. A homemaker can make a tremendous difference. Read the life of Susanna Wesley. One mother, 19 children, 19. Two of them died, 17 survived. Her husband was a traveling evangelist. So she was left alone to take care of 17 kids. Two of her children rewrote history in Great Britain. John Wesley and Charles Wesley, the power of a praying mother, one mother. There is a call on your life. You need to recognize that. 
Jeremiah was told by God, I have a purpose for you. Do you know there's a difference between purpose and success? How many of you know that? Do you know that success as the world defines it is being rich, being famous, being a mover or shaker in society, coming on page three in the newspaper is success. When people want a selfie with you, that is success. When people want your autograph, that is success. But there is a difference between success and purpose. Do you know there are successful people in the world who end their lives? Have you read stories? Successful. Everything that the world wants, they have. They have wealth. They have fame. They are recognized. They are considered as very important people in society. People run around them. But at the peak of their success, they realize it's all empty inside. You and I are different. We have purpose. Amen? No. I grew up in Calcutta, I told you, and Calcutta is called the city of joy, but it's also called the city of processions. When we were kids, I remember a lot of protests, you know, Cholbena, Cholbena, Inkulab, Zindabad, and they would come on the street and they would protest. And sometimes they were very long. We lived on the second floor, and I would stand on the veranda, seven, eight years old, and look down. And I would see a sea of humanity, hundreds of people, you know, from one end to the other end. You can't see where it's starting, where it's ending. That many people shouting and going on the street. And once in a while, I would go down, tap somebody and ask them, Kotai Jachin, where are you going? They would reply and say, Jani na agi jigishkurun. I don't know, ask the person in front. And I would think to myself, here's a bunch of people shouting their lungs out in a procession, going from point A to point B, and they have no clue where they are headed. That's the metaphor of life. Do you know this morning in Bangalore City, millions of people woke up with no clue about purpose? Only people who know God have discovered purpose. Amen? He's the reason for our existence. In Him we live and move and have our being. He's the reason for our existence. He has a purpose for us. We are not here by chance. We are here by design. He has appointed the steps of a good person are ordered by the Lord. He orders our steps. He restrains our steps. He makes sure that we are at some place where he wants us to be. You are not in this city without a reason. You are not where you are staying without a reason. You are not in that job without a reason. Recognize your sentness. Recognize it. I'm here to make a difference by the grace of God. I'm not aimlessly wandering through life 
to some unknown destination. People say, what is life? Life is a journey. You ask them from where to where, don't know. Life is a journey, but don't know where we are headed. Listen, you didn't choose God. God chose you. John 15, 16, you have not chosen me. I have chosen you. I have ordained you that you will bear fruit and your fruit will remain. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you will show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's a purpose. I want you to recognize that. Let me share a story of purpose. The year 1979, my father, who was a pastor, was ministering. The Lord helped him and his team to pioneer a church in Singapore. So they were in Singapore at a businessman's office. The businessman had just come to the Lord and he had begun to attend the service in the church at Singapore where my father and his team were pioneering. And so one day that businessman came and said, Pastor, I want you to come and uh, pray in our office space. So my father said, sure. So he took a team and they went down and they began to walk around that office and pray. And then all of a sudden, they came to a particular desk. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to my father and said, pray over this desk. Pray for the person who sits here. The office was closed. It was a weekend. And so my father stopped there and told that businessman, say, hold on, I need to pray. And so he laid hands on that table and he said these words. He said, before this year is out, the man sitting at this desk, let him accept you as Lord and Savior. Now at that desk, a man called Wakok Lee was seated. Not on that day, but that's the desk where Wakok Lee would sit. He was a Buddhist, didn't know God. He was a marathon runner, represented Singapore. Before that year was out, Wakok Lee became a believer. He's still serving the Lord. Two, three years ago, I visited him. Still, in his ripe old age, he's still serving the Lord. That's what God wants to do in your life. You're not just simply doing a job. You know, in South India, when I came, I learned the word simply. You know? Why do you do it? Simply. We don't do things simply. We do things deliberately, consciously, intentionally. We are people of purpose. We don't amble through life. We don't have this attitude of we'll see what happens. We'll play by ear. We go in with a clear purpose. God sent me here to bring a message to you this morning. We are people of purpose. Look at yourself and say, I'm a person of purpose. When you go out into your workspace, ask the Lord, go a little early. Walk around every place where the sole of your feet treads. I will give it to you. That's the promise of God. Walk around your office. They may think that something has gone wrong, but walk around your office. Walk around your neighborhood. Walk around your building. Walk around. And start speaking words and start saying, Lord, men and women, 
from this building will turn to you. From this office will turn to you. There will be men and women who don't know you. The power of God will flow through us into these people. A message of hope will be shared by us to these people. You will accomplish your purpose. You will bring people to our home. How many of you pray that? You will bring people to our home. This week, will you pray, Lord, bring somebody who has a need to our home. We are people of purpose. Amen. Hallelujah. Look at yourself and say, Lord, here I am. I'm available. I'm available for your service, Lord. This week, I pray from Bangalore Revival Center that there will be men and women who will walk out of these doors with a very clear sense, recognizing I am sent. I'm a person who has a purpose. There is something bigger that God wants to do in our lives and then through our lives. Hallelujah. At the beginning of this year, you surrender to the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. God says, I know your person. I know your potential. I know your purpose. Let me conclude. By human standards, Jeremiah was a failure. By human standards. You know why? 40 years he prophesied. But people rejected him. In Jeremiah 37, he was thrown into prison. Jeremiah 38, he was thrown into a cistern. Jeremiah 43, he was taken to Egypt against his will. He was rejected by his neighbors, his family, the false priests, and the false prophets. He was rejected by his audience, by the kings of his time. But from the eternal purpose of God, Jeremiah fulfilled the call on his life. The world may call you a failure, but when you fulfill the task that has been assigned to you, God above, the only one who matters, the only audience that has ever mattered, he will look at you and say, well done. You've finished well. You've accomplished the task for which I sent you. I'll, I'll close with a story. Bill and Gloria Gaither have penned many songs that you and I love to sing. In the 1970s, they were going through a particular rough patch. Bill Gaither had gone through sickness and he nearly died. His sister had gone through a very devastating divorce. At that time, close friends of Bill and Gloria Gaither had a major misunderstanding with them. Everything that could go wrong was going wrong. And that's the time their third child, Benjamin, was born. As Bill Gaither held Benjamin, carried him in his arms, the Lord gave him a few words. He was a songwriter. The Lord gave him these words. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the warmth and joy he brings. But greater still the calm assurance this child can face 
uncertain days because he lives. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and minister to us. We're going to sing that old song. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds my future. Life is worth the living just because he lives. Will you stand to your feet as we respond to the Lord today? The word of the Lord has come to you. The word that came to Jeremiah is the same word that has come to you. God is looking at you and saying, I know you personally. I know your name. I know your thoughts. I know your steps. I know your tears. I know even the hairs on your head. I know you more than you know yourself. God is looking at you and saying, I see potential in you. Not that he can't see your limitations or your failures. Some people say, my loved one will never change. I've had people say, my husband, he will never change. Pastor, you don't know him. A dog's tail can be straightened, but my husband, he'll never change. Listen to me. One word from him is enough. One touch from him is enough. Anyone who touched Jesus, anyone who Jesus touched was never the same again. Bring your loved one to the Lord. Do you have a brother, a sister, a friend who is battling addiction? Bring them to the Lord. Do you have an unsaved family member? Bring them to the Lord right now where you are. Say, Lord, I raise that person up to you. You have a plan for them. You have a purpose for them. They are not going to get destroyed. Their life will not become a wreck. You have something beautiful in store. I bring them to you. Bring your children before the Lord. Bring your old parents before the Lord. Bring your spouse before the Lord. If you're unmarried, bring your siblings before the Lord. Say, Lord, here we are. Where else can we turn to? You have the words of eternal life. Thank you for tuning in for today's sermon. We hope this word has been a blessing to you. Do visit us at dreamyreviver.com for more information. You're welcome to tune in every Sunday for our live celebration service at 11 a.m. at youtube.com slash God bless you and have a blessed week.